pray. <laughs> o Lord, may the words in my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our restorer. Amen. Well, grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And a special thanks to Pastor Malone and you, Lamb of God, for welcoming my family this morning with, uh, to be with you today as we serve as missionaries. And we thank you for your support, your love, and your prayers as we prepare to deploy. Um, when I was in my fourth year of seminary, I went on a mission trip. It was three months before graduation. We went down to Guatemala City. And each day we would, we would go out somewhere in the city and uh, we would set up shop. We would, uh, we would do a faith lesson for the adults. We would do a faith in children's lessons for the kids. We would provide a snack and we would travel around from, uh, from home to home visiting with uh, people that needed prayers or needed to hear the word of God. On one particular day, we went to a town called El Rincon. Literally means the corner. And it was in a small town of Amatitlan, right in the shadow of an active volcano and next to uh, some fruit fields where they were growing some fruit. And I can remember as we arrived at this dusty corner and set up shop in the pavilion in the open air, we were walking down the road to be shown where we would use the restroom if we needed to use the restroom while we were there. And as we were walking down this dusty road, the leader of the trip said to me, Brian, I want you to ask me about Carlos later today. Not now, but later. Fair enough. And so we walked down to uh, this house. And when I say house, I mean a shack. Literally, uh, about 12 feet by 12 feet, made of wood pallets and corrugated tin. Seven people lived under this roof. No running water, no electricity. And as I wrapped my mind around everything that I saw, I noticed there was a man sitting in a wheelchair outside of the house. And we were introduced to everybody, and, and I noticed that as I met the family, the son would come out and bring some water to the man in the wheelchair. And then the daughter would come and offer him some food. The mother, the matriarch of the home, would come and make sure that his colostomy bag or whatever that needed to be changed was, was taken care of. And I had a hunch that the man in the wheelchair was Carlos, though I wasn't for sure. As I watched the way this family interacted and cared for this man in the wheelchair, I really began to think this was Carlos. But I had to know his story. Why did I need to ask our leader about Carlos? Well, they showed us the, the restroom, which, as you can imagine, was little more than a hole in the ground and a sheet around it. And as we did our faith lesson that day, I noticed that Carlos was wheeled down by the sun to the pavilion, where he was one of the only men that was at worship that day. I watched as he interacted with the people. I thought maybe he was a pastor. Maybe he was a spiritual leader. I, I, I couldn't figure it out. But I was intrigued. And as we were packing up and getting ready to go home, I sat in the van and I said to our leader, Kevin, I can't wait. Who's Carlos? Is it the guy in the wheelchair? Is it him? I think it's him. And he said, you're right. The man in the wheelchair was Carlos. I said, well, tell me about him. Why do, why do I need to ask? Who was he? Why was he in a wheelchair? What was going on? And he said, well, Carlos is not a member of that family. Carlos actually is in Guatemala. He was hired by that family to dig their well. Also found out that Carlos wasn't a nice man. He was a raging alcoholic. And he would drink when he was at their home. And on a number of occasions, 
He harassed and sexually assaulted the women in that family. One day when he was digging the well under the influence of alcohol, he fell into the well. It took hours to get Carlos out of that well. And then he was in the hospital for days. He was paralyzed from the waist down. As I listened to this story, I looked Kevin straight in the eye and I said, why in the world is Carlos at that house then? He said, because they understand Jesus and they understand the gospel. Can you imagine taking in someone who assaulted members of your family and abused you? But that family took him in because they understood Jesus. Because they knew that we worship a gracious God. And so Carlos lived under that roof. The little food they had, they shared with him. The medical care that he needed, they gave him or found someone who give, could give it to him. They cared for that man who should have been their enemy. They were reconciled. And what a glorious testimony it was to the people of that neighborhood. That someone who should have been cast away and arrested and seen as an enemy was actually family. And they shared with Carlos not just food and water and care, but they shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And Carlos's life was radically changed. Though he lost movement in half his body, he gained salvation through Jesus. And Carlos was an active member of that community, sharing the word of Christ with neighbors, telling of God's reconciliation that he experienced through Jesus. That was a pretty rattling experience for me as a young man as I was about to become a pastor. Because had I been in their shoes, I'm not sure I could have done that. Reconciliation is challenging. To be reconciled is a hard thing, but it, it is what it, reconciliation is what it means to be Christian. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I know you guys have been journeying through the life of Joseph in the later, latter chapters of Genesis, studying about uh, Joseph and, and his life of pain and providence, of, of the experiences of Joseph with his brothers. So where does our story with Joseph pick up? Well, with a grand story of reconciliation. As you know, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. In Genesis chapter 45, we have a family reunion that could have been for the ages. Joseph stood before his brothers finally. And he could have had his chance. He could have said, told you. You'd bet on and worship me. I told you I was special. I told you I was a big deal. He could have held it over their heads and said, well, if you want some food, you're going to have to do something for me. He could have held them hostage. He had the ultimate bargaining chip to hold over his brother's lives for the rest of time. But he didn't. I mean, you know the story, right? Joseph was his father's favorite. And Joseph wasn't humble about that. He was pretty arrogant. Oh, he told his brothers he had dreams that they would all bow down to him. 
He wore his flashy coat in front of them. And his brothers sought to kill him. In fact, they had conspired to kill Joseph and return uh, the coat to his father. But in the 11th hour, the brother Reuben stepped in and figured out a way to solve the problem without destroying their brother. Just sell him into slavery. And after a long time, Joseph, you have talked about his rise to power in the land of Egypt. You saw God's providence despite all that had gone wrong seemingly in, in Joseph's life. And now, because of uh, the Lord's work through Joseph, his brothers now stood before him in need. And I don't know about you, but when I read that story, sometimes I think, come on, Joseph, stick it to them. They deserve it. They had this coming. And you know why I think that? Because I'm, a, I'm an expert in doing those things. And I don't know you all that well, and don't take offense to this, but I think you're probably experts in doing that too. I mean, Jesus tells us if someone strikes you on the cheek to turn your cheek, turn them the other cheek. But surely he's not serious, is he? I mean, it's, it's much easier for us to, 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 to talk back, to get in the last word. I mean, for us, to, for us to turn the other cheek is weakness, right? I mean, we don't want to be walked over. For how many of you, when, when you're wronged, do you want to fight back? Or do you fight back? How many relationships have been broken in this congregation, in your families, amongst your neighbors? Because you weren't, secret, you weren't seeking to be reconciled, but you wanted revenge. You wanted to speak last. You wanted victory. You see, I think we can resonate with this story, at least up to a point, because we're pros at being unreconciled. But as you heard in Genesis chapter 45, that's not how the story turns. Joseph doesn't say, I told you. Joseph is reconciled with his brothers. In fact, Joseph has tremendous insight and discernment as he speaks to them. What you meant for ill, God meant for good. You sought to, sold, to, to sell me into slavery, and yet through that seemingly terrible event, God brought me into power, not just to save you in your time of need, but to save an entire people, two groups of people. Instead of saying, I win, he says, I forgive. And he loves his brothers. Another incident that I have a hard time fathoming. Because if I were in Joseph's shoes, surely I wouldn't have given a hug and wept on their shoulder. Maybe down the line, but I first would have got my, my say in there. So we have these two accounts. The account of Carlos being reconciled to a family that should have hated him and had good reason to. And we have this account of, of Joseph in Genesis chapter 45, where Joseph had every right to hate his brothers as they sought to kill him and get rid of him. And yet he has love and compassion on them. 
What binds these two stories together? Reconciliation. So what then is reconciliation? And why is reconciliation so important? Well, let's start with what it is. Reconciliation is the mending of broken relationships. In the case of Carlos, the break happened when he assaulted and abused the family. Reconciliation occurred when the family didn't seek restitution or retribution for the wrongs committed to them, but instead, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the neighbor, loved, forgave, and cared for. So in that, in that instance, we see reconciliation happening. What is reconciliation in the, in the case of Joseph? Well, instead of getting revenge, he takes care of. He loves. He forgives. He has mercy and shows compassion. So in both cases, you see the mending of a broken relationship. Why is, let's talk about the second question, why is reconciliation important? Look around. Maybe you don't have to look much farther than the person next to you in the pew. I hope that's not the case. But there are broken relationships all over the place. And what causes brokenness in our relationships? Sin does. And sin, in all its nasty manifestations, seeks to break down relationships between God and his people, between his people in their various relationships, between husband and wife, father and, and, and son, mother and daughter, uh, neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ. Satan works to destroy relationships and break what God has created and called good. And you know that, don't you? Because I'm sure there are broken relationships in your lives. Perhaps you've not always met your spouse with words of compassion, mercy, and love. Perhaps you were the one that said to your children, I told you so. Perhaps you've snapped at a neighbor, gave an evil eye to a brother or sister in the faith. We know broken relationships well, all too well. Sometimes we're on the receiving end of those broken relationships, and sometimes we are the cause. Reconciliation is necessary for the sake of the church, for the sake of humanity, and for the sake of our salvation. And so God acts. God is the author of reconciliation. You know, as I, I thought about these two stories, the story of Carlos and the story of Joseph, both stories have always caused me trouble and angst. And I really couldn't figure out why. But as I've thought about these over the last few years and as I thought about Joseph in preparation for today, I think I've begun to realize why they caused me so much trouble. Because the story of Carlos and the story of Joseph those are my stories. Because I've been Carlos in God's world. Because I've abused what God has given me. Because I've harassed God's people. Because I've broken what he called good and holy. 
he should have left me in the pit. But like Carlos, I was scooped out of the well. And by the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, I was cared for, my wounds were bound, and I'm fed daily and cared for by God. And Joseph's story is also my story. Because I have broken relationships, not just with God, but with my neighbors. And I contribute to that. Yet like Joseph, the Lord has given me his spirit and driven me towards reconciliation with my neighbors. See, reconciliation, last few points. Reconciliation, I don't know if you've noticed in all our readings today, it's always passive. I'm not reconciling myself to people. I'm being reconciled. I don't reconcile myself to God. I'm reconciled with God. You see, reconciliation can't happen without the presence of God's Spirit working, driving us to Christ, creating faith in what He has done for us by dying on the cross and pouring out His blood and rising again to new life. Reconciliation only possible because God has acted. We see that in the vertical relationship with God. We'd always be in a broken relationship had God not acted. What does St. Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? It was him who knew no sin that God made to know sin so that we would know the righteousness of God. So great is God's love and compassion for us that in the broken relationship where we seek to just violate all of what God has done, He sends His Son to die on our behalf. And we are reconciled to the Father through Christ. But it's not a one-time gift, a one-time reconciling. God pours out His Spirit into us. For many of you, this happened right here. And now the Spirit is active in your life, working in two directions. One, to have you cling to the promises of Jesus in faith so that you remain reconciled to your heavenly Father. And it also drives out into your neighbors and in your horizontal relationships with those around you so that you can be reconciled with those around you. Because God's greatest desire is reconciliation with Him and with your brothers and sisters in faith. And these words that I'm about to speak, I know are hard words. I'm just going to say them. To be Christian is to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled to our neighbors. And what that means is this. If we desire to not be reconciled with those around us, we choose not to be Christian. You see, reconciliation is impossible without God. It's impossible without the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. God knows that. That's why he's done it all for us. And he continues to. So I don't know where you, you stand in your walk with the Lord or in your relationships with those around you. But know this. You've been rescued from the pit. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been made new. You are God's child. 
You've been reconciled with the Father through the Son. And He gives you a gift in His Spirit to keep you reconciled. To keep you coming back to this place to hear God's Word. To hear your, your pastor speak forgiveness to you. To receive the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you remain reconciled to the Father. But He also gives you His Spirit that you be reconciled with one another. And that you carry the, the, the ministry of reconciliation. That you take all that God has done for you on the cross and gives to you through, through water and through bread and wine through the Word. That you carry that out into your community. That as you go into broken Seattle, as you go into to the broken United States, as you go into broken Panama or the broken world, you carry the good news of Jesus. And you carry the Spirit with you to be reconciled. So friends in Christ, by the power of Jesus and the Spirit that He's given you, be reconciled to Him and be reconciled to one another. How great it is as His people to come together in God's house and like Joseph before his brothers, to hug, kiss, and weep at the reconciliation God has done for us and the reconciliation that God works among us. May the Lord who created this good work in you carry it out to completion until the last day. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so very grateful for the message of reconciliation. Lord, we know that in, at many times and in many ways, we are the ones that break uh, relationships and all that you've given and done for us. And for that, we're, we're, we're truly sorry. We thank you for sending Jesus to, to reconcile us to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've also poured out your spirit upon us and among us, that we might be reconciled with one another. Lord, help us not be a hindrance to that. Help us cherish the relationship we have with you and the relationships we have with one another. May we always be reconciled and carry that reconciliation to our community as a church, but also as individuals. We ask, Lord, that now that uh, you prepare our hearts and minds to receive the greatest gift you could give us, your supper, where we know we are reconciled with you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.